Hi, this is Susan Swain, host of C-SPAN's Q&A podcast. We're taking a July 4th break and wanted to use this week to introduce you to the latest season of our Presidential Recordings podcast. As the nation marks the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in, Season 2 focuses on President Richard Nixon's secretly recorded private telephone conversations. You'll hear Richard Nixon talk with key aides about Watergate's strategy, potential Supreme Court nominees, and you'll hear his reaction to the leaked publication of the Pentagon Papers. And Q&A will be back with an all-new episode on July 10th. During his time as president, Richard Nixon recorded more than 3,700 hours of White House conversations. They're part private discussions, part deliberations, part confessionals, and 100% unfiltered. This is Presidential Recordings, Season 2, The Nixon Presidency. We'll hear Richard Nixon's phone calls with congressional leaders and Supreme Court justices, his discussions after his 1972 landslide re-election win, and of course, we'll hear about Watergate and his resignation. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. June 17, 1972. Good evening. We have a mystery story out of Washington. Five people have been arrested and charged with breaking into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee in the middle of the night. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. The door, now part of police evidence, was noticed by one of the guards employed by the Watergate complex. At first, the police found nothing. Then they spied five men crouching behind some desks. Few presidential scandals occupy a place in American culture like Watergate, when five burglars broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters and set off a series of investigations that ultimately led to President Nixon's resignation. One of the most public of those was held in the U.S. Senate, and one of its major discoveries, the existence of a voice-activated recording system. So you were employed on January 21, 1969, and continue to be employed until March 14 of this year. Is that correct? That's correct. Mr. Butterfield, are you aware of the installation of any listening devices in the Oval Office of the President? I was aware of listening devices. Yes, sir. When were those devices placed in the Oval Office? Approximately the summer of 1970. I cannot begin to recall the precise date. My guess, Mr. Thompson, is that the installation was made between, and this is a very rough guess, April or May of 1970 and perhaps the end of the summer or early fall 1970. Are you aware of any devices that were installed in the executive office building office of the president? Yes, sir, at that time. Were they installed at the same time? They were installed at the same time. Could you tell us a little bit about how those devices worked, uh, how they were activated, for example? I don't have the technical knowledge, but I will tell you what I know about 
how those devices were triggered. Uh, they were installed, of course, for historical purposes, to record the President's business, and they were installed in his two offices, the Oval Office and the EOB Office. That exchange, on July 13, 1973, between Senate Committee Investigator Fred Thompson and Nixon's Senior Assistant Alexander Butterfield, blew the Watergate investigation wide open. Up until then, a White House recording system was only a rumor, but armed with Butterfield's admission, the committee's lead investigator, Sam Dash, zeroed in. If either Mr. Dean, Mr. Haldeman, Mr. Ehrlichman, Mr. Colson had particular meetings in the Oval Office with the president on any particular dates that had been testified before this committee, there would be a tape recording with the president of that full conversation, would there not? Yes, sir. Now, one word, therefore, to reconstruct the conversations at any particular date, what would be the best way to reconstruct those conversations, Mr. Butterfield, in the president's Oval Office? Well, in the obvious manner, Mr. Dash, to obtain the tape and play it. The committee would spend the next several months trying to get the White House recordings, including taking the then unprecedented step of suing the president in federal court. But that's a story for another podcast. First, a little history. We'll start on September 15, 1972. That's when a federal grand jury indicted seven men in connection to the Watergate break-in. The charges were conspiracy, burglary, and violation of federal wiretapping laws. Four months later, two of the men, G. Gordon Liddy and James McCord, were convicted on all charges. Four others, including E. Howard Hunt, had already pled guilty. The judge presiding over the case, John Sirica, had threatened all of them with long prison sentences unless they talked to prosecutors. A month after that, the U.S. Senate voted 77-0 to create a special committee to investigate the scandal. A month after that, Judge Sirica read a letter in open court from James McCord that confessed the existence of a wider conspiracy. On April 9th, White House Counsel John Dean began talking to federal prosecutors, and the Watergate conspiracy started to unravel. Four days later, on April 13th, President Nixon called his chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman. They talked about Jeb Magruder, who was deputy director of the president's 1972 re-election campaign. Days earlier, Magruder had admitted to lying under oath about the campaign's involvement in the Watergate break-in. Analyzing this Dean thing and so forth, uh, it's your view that Dean probably didn't know the time after the election they met what the truth really was. Is that right? I don't think he knew for sure. That's what he, he guessed it might be. I think he guessed it. Well, we all guessed. Didn't, didn't, didn't think he had any choice. But we didn't really, did we? Did, we thought it was some screwballs. I mean, that was... Yeah, tell me what you think of it. There's, there's, it's all there. It's a 
sentence ahead of him on perjury alone. And uh, he says, I'm gonna, when I talk, I'm going to tell the truth. And uh, she's going to get off the perjury. Yep. But that's what Ehrlichman told me, that he, he was going to talk. So that's that. No? If he had said he hasn't decided yet whether he's going to talk or, or oh. say nothing, he might go the fifth, I suppose, and say nothing. Yeah. Uh, but it would appear that he's thought through and prepared for and, and his lawyers are advising him to talk. And uh, he says, when I talk, it won't uh, in any way implicate all of it and in, in absolutely no way implicate the president. And there was no, no involvement, no knowledge of either. And uh, well, in this respect, but Bobby, he, he is telling the truth. But he says it will hang Mitchell.
happen that Adams? No. My God, Adams was Eisenhower's alter ego. He was working with the heart attack. He was president, actually. That's right. You know, let's face it. And it was personal banality and not just a caper. This is just a caper, you know, like your poll showed. Yeah. What is that poll going to run? The uh, uh, approval thing is apparently going to, is for Monday release. They mm -hmm. said, you know, they jiggle them around. You never know for sure. Right. Well, I don't know but what you think, but I think that's a goddamn positive thing, considering the beating and battering we've taken in the news magazines and the rest. What do you think? Excuse me. I agree. <laughs> we, uh... Yeah, considering the, the, what the they kind of make people think on the economy, which is trying right. we know knocks things down, and which they say does. It's really somewhat the Eisenhower syndrome, basically. He's holding you up. Uh, when Eisenhower, you know, when he went down to about 48 or 49 in 58, when the economy went very bad, it was much worse. I mean, basically, it was unemployment then, not, not inflation, but just unemployment. But he went down to 49%. That was his lowest. And then came up again. But what held him up always was the fact that he thought he was the best guy to run the world. Yep. And that's the thing we've got to keep in our minds all the time. That's the thing where all this gobbledygook about my going out, you know, and being nice little baby old ladies and all the rest, uh, you know, it has to be put in perspective. That, that I think, is, is good. But it's marginal. I really think that's marginal. Or, or do you agree? I don't know. I mean, I, this is something that, you know, if you, if you talk to, to to John or Ray Price or I'm sure Sapphire, the rest, they'd say that's the most important thing in the world, you know, to be, be a warm, nice human being. Like, we all know you. Well, God damn it, the press isn't going to print it, are they? Nope. And the television isn't going to cover it, are they? Nope. Not, not so. Done. So what do you do? Occasional. Do you just have a few events? Is that, don't you think so? In the normal course, you don't don't go overboard, and you you don't avoid opportunities when you got them. Right. Make a few more. Go out in the country a little more. That I want to do. Make as many as we can. I think going out to the country is good. I mean, even though it doesn't affect the pool, it just lets the country see. Don't you agree? Yep. Right. Well, anyway, I'll be interested to see what Colson's latest gambit is. Yeah. Bye. Bye. President Nixon and his chief of staff, Bob Haldeman, on April 13, 1973. Later that same day, the president talked with domestic affairs advisor John Ehrlichman. Well, they have quite a tale of horrors to tell. Uh, the bit of information that they had was that Hunt has decided to tell all of the grand jury Monday at 2 that um, uh, he, uh, and, and my, uh, the way they put it, it's not conclusive, but uh, my suspicion is that Bittman, his lawyer, made a deal with the government so that Bittman does not get caught in this obstruction of justice business. But uh, he will, Bittman, uh, Hunt's lawyer, uh, right, he will implicate uh, the committee lawyers, Parkinson and O'Brien, as the uh, bagmen and the, the transmitters of money through Hunt to the Cubans and uh, through Hunt to Mrs. Hunt for other people and so on and so forth. Why will Hunt do this, do they say? Uh, they think simply because he has no incentive to stand mute uh, now. Uh, he sees the whole thing going up in smoke, and he just doesn't want to uh, be the 
that criminal conduct is not embraced within executive privilege. Never was intended to cover it. Well, that is for me, but that's for somebody else to do that. Yeah, he means, for, he means from here. No, I don't. The, uh, right. the Justice Department or you are, yeah, right. Clinton's could do that, but no act, right. no criminal act is within the scope and so on. Right. I agree secondly, with that. Secondly, uh, someone, uh, Colson says me, uh, uh, Shapiro says uh, Fred Fielding or somebody, but if somebody comes into you and lays out the damaging evidence, uh, the U.S. attorney uh, is given the damaging evidence by uh, somebody in the president's behalf. Uh, next, uh, uh, the president's man uh, goes to see Gordon Liddy and says, Gordon, uh, I don't know what you may have been promised, but obviously no one had authority to promise you a pardon. Um, the only way you could be entitled to any consideration in a case of this kind would be by coming clean, by telling the truth. And uh, the president very much wants you to tell the truth, always has wanted you to tell the truth, regardless of you have your, uh, I yeah. see. Yeah. Then uh, you have stolen a march on Hunt. You have broken the case by uh, persuading Liddy to come clean. He's the key to the Watergate thing. The focus is all on Watergate with Liddy. And uh, you have demonstrated your uh, desire that, that all come out. That's their plan. Well, how's this all affect Colson? <laughs> well, um, I don't know how it all affects Colson. Hunt has got to talk a lot about Colson, I would guess. Oh, one. That's the other point. Uh, he wants to keep Hunt silent. One marginal piece of news that they brought in uh, that has Colson a little shook is that McCord has told the U.S. attorney that he participated in an operation with, Mc with Hunt uh, to uh, go out to Las Vegas. Uh, leave their airplane with the engines going, standing by, go into town, bust Hank Greenspun's safe, steal, right. some, yeah, steal some stuff from it, jump back in the airplane and come on back. And that Colson masterminded it. In the name of God, would that be? I can't imagine. But Colson stoutly and devoutly maintains that he never heard a thing about it. That never heard of it before. Never heard of Hank Greenspun before. So far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. uh, participated 
Hammond was of a frame of mind that he was not going to say anything. All right. But now he is. Now he is. And I think Bittman has brought him around. Bittman, who is Hunt's attorney. Right. And uh, I don't know what's in it for Hunt to well, around. Well, what the hell? He probably figures he isn't going to get a presidential pardon. That's what it gets down to. Let's face it, and he isn't. He either right. goddamn well, I can't give him a pardon. That's right. They're looking, at the, they're looking right in the... Uh, and uh, Colson sort of made all these protestations, perhaps, to him, and he knows damn well we can't come true on him. Because mm-hmm. Colson has no commitment. Yeah. Don't you think that's it? And Colson isn't here anymore, and the thing is obviously going a different direction. And so Hunt says, good God, let's cut my losses. Colson probably said, you know, the White House will hardline this thing, and you don't have a thing to worry about. Yeah. So Hunt then will uh, look like an... Uh, isn't that really Colson's concern that Hunt will put a plug on him? I, I, he didn't say so, but I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And he's probably doing everything he can to get a line around Hunt at this point. But at the present time, for God's sakes, keep him from talking. And I you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, by talking, I mean I understand. Tell the truth. But for Christ's sakes, I could not go off on his own. I couldn't raise that other question with Shapiro here. Yeah, but I will. And uh, the other, yeah, I know. I'll talk to him tomorrow. Okay. All right. Fine. President Nixon and White House Domestic Affairs Advisor John Ehrlichman from April 13, 1973. Two days later, the president spoke with Assistant Attorney General Henry Peterson after getting word that White House Counsel John Dean had told the grand jury that Bob Haldeman had helped plan and cover up the Watergate break-in. Anything further you want to report tonight before our meeting tomorrow at 12.30? Uh, anything especially uh, that I didn't give you today. Nothing that adds to what we had earlier. That's right. They concluded the meeting with Dean. His counsel says he will not permit him to plead. Uh, that, uh, permit him to plead? Uh, what do you mean by that? To, uh, to plead guilty. In other words, he'll go to trial. He's got to plead not guilty, huh? That's right, unless we come to some agreement with him. Uh, his counsel's position is that it would be a travesty to try Dean and not try Ehrlichman uh, and Haldeman. Uh, but the basic information to the extent that is developed in these preliminary negotiations is much more than I gave you. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, based on this, though, you, you mean that, that inhibits you from using information then? Or, or do you use it, or how do you do it? Or you use it for, for leads, but you can't use it unless he pleads, right? Uh, we, can, we cannot use it for any purpose unless he pleads. For no purpose? That's right. Now, unless he pleads, that's incorrect. Unless we strike some agreement with him. The, uh, he had a call from Ehrlichman. Ehrlichman wanted to meet with him tonight at about 8 o'clock. Uh, we advised him he would have to make his own determination, but suggested he not. I see. Uh, he then, through his counsel, informed us that uh, he was writing a note to you in which he would say, one, that, um, uh, that what he was doing was in your best interest and that that would all become apparent as the situation unfolded. Right. Uh, Let me ask you this. Why don't I get him in now, if I can find him and uh, have a talk with him? Any objection to that? Is that all right with you? Yes, sir. All right. I'm going to get him up, get him over because I'm not going to screw around with this thing, as I told you. All right. I want to be sure you understand that, uh, you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this thing. 
do whatever uh, he was told to do. I never met the man. I don't know what I could do with him. Mm -hmm. I give him a signal. Well, I can do it for you. <laughs> he, Lydia, talked to John Mitchell and said a signal from the president? No, he said a signal from Mitchell. From Mitchell? Yes, sir. And uh, well, Mitchell indicated that he was going to stand firm. Then how do I, I'm uh, trying to get out, how do I get, you mean I then would go over Mitchell to Lydia? Well, in effect, uh, you're telling me that. So we just uh, go and say that uh, we've discussed the situation with the president of the United States, and uh, he thinks it's vitally important that you tell us everything you know. I got it. Okay. Now you'll be through with your things by you think by 12:30, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, get a good night's sleep, huh? I will indeed. As good as you can. Yes, sir. Okay. All right, and you too. After hearing about John Dean's admission, John Ehrlichman called Acting FBI Director Patrick Gray. Pat, this is John Ehrlichman. Yes, John. Good evening. Did I find you at home? Yes, I'm at home. I wanted to tell you that um, John Dean has apparently um, uh, decided to make a clean breast of things with the uh, U.S. Attorney. Uh, one of the questions that apparently they've been asking him is about the envelope that he turned over to you. Yeah, well, he better deny that. Well, he's apparently pretty much on the record on that. Thought I'd better alert you to it. What the hell am I going to do about that? I don't know. Is it, is it still in being? No. Let's see. I don't know. I was told that that was purely political and I destroyed it. I see. Okay. Well, it probably was. Is there any way you can turn him off? No. Hmm? No. Out of out of uh, any any orbit that we <laughs> cognize around here. No, so I just wanted to alert you to it. What other things do you think he's going to talk about? Well, he's putting the he's putting the best face on his relations with uh, Peterson that he can. Peterson has sort of moved in on the prosecution. Uh -huh. What was he doing things with Peterson too? Yeah. You might want to take a look at your whole card where he's concerned, because I don't know all the ins and outs of your relationship or, you know, what. Yeah, the only thing I can do with this is deny it. Okay. You're not going to back him up, are you? Uh, I can, you know, uh, just just uh, say I don't know anything about it except that what he told me. But uh, he has uh, spent all day today with the U.S. Attorney. Uh, John Ehrlichman again. I've been giving some thought to our conversation. I just don't think there's any way to do anything but level on this if you're asked. Mm -hmm. um, there's just too many collateral facts. Mm -hmm. and, uh, if, it's the, if it's the fact that that was just full of stuff irrelevant to any business of the Bureau, why, you know, that's, that's reason enough. Well, that's what I was told, but I didn't look at it yet. Right. Uh, I, I just don't see how you could yourself crossways in the in the testimony in this thing for fear you get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. 
political things and have no bearing on the subject at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think if I were you, I'd stick to that. I can't, obviously can't tell you what to do, but I, I was a little troubled by our conversation and I didn't pick it up fast enough. Mm-hmm. You said that, so I just, I just thought I'd better call you back. Yeah, I don't know all the other collaterals there are that are in it's moving so fast. I'm frank to confess I don't either, but I just hesitate to get crosswise on something of that kind. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye White House Domestic Affairs Advisor John Ehrlichman and Acting FBI Director Patrick Gray. Later that day, the president called Henry Peterson again. They talked about what John Dean knew and what would happen next. I think we ought to reach that question after we see. 
President Nixon and Assistant Attorney General Henry Peterson on April 15, 1973. Next time on Presidential Recordings, more calls between President Nixon and his White House aides as the fallout from the Watergate scandal continues to grow. Thanks to NixonTapes.org, the Miller Center at the University of Virginia, and the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Museum. Remember to follow Presidential Recordings so you never miss an episode.